Hey everyone, this is Lars Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and on this week's podcast, we're talking about the opening of the silly season at NBA Free Agency. Ben and I go over the good and the bad, and there, and there is bad to be had, of the Derrick Rose signing. We run through our list of potential bat- backup big men that the Pistons could pursue, and we talk about some of the moves the Pistons' competitors in the Eastern Conference have made to open free agency. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Uh, please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to build the podcast according to what you all are talking about. In order to do that, though, you have to follow DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this offseason. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. Uh, I am your host, Lazarus Jackson. I'm pleased today to be joined by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. Uh, ben, how are you doing? Hey, Laz, I'm doing pretty good. It's silly season, so this has been a fun hour or so of NBA free agency. I can say I'm a fan of it starting at 6 p.m., right? I mean, this this whole midnight nonsense is over. How are you doing, Laz? I'm doing great. Um, the, the Pistons did not make some uh incredibly stupid move they only made like a minorly dumb move and so i'll take that i'll take that yeah yeah uh so to recap before free agency even officially started um ed stefanski the uh senior advisor of the detroit pistons uh, said a backup point guard was the main target uh, and he said that the team would be patient uh, only one of those things turned out to be true uh, the Pistons have signed Derek Rose, uh, formerly of the uh, Minnesota Timberwolves and you know, infamously of the Chicago Bulls, to a two-year, $15 million uh, deal. I haven't seen any player options or anything on the deal, and so it looks like that deal will just be straight up two for 15. Um, so, Ben, what are we to make of the Derek Rose signing? So I'm going to expand a little bit on what I put out on Twitter. Um, Objectively, from a basketball-only perspective, I think this is actually fairly solid, if not without some risk. So we saw what Derrick Rose did a season ago, still in limited time, but for him, 51 games is is a lot of basketball. Uh, But in those games, he was actually a pretty good player. Um, We kind of know what he is still. Um, He had some strong three-point shooting early in the season, um, stumbled a little bit with his shooting late in the season, but really still looked like uh, bits and pieces and bursts and spurts of his old self in terms of his playmaking and his scoring. Um, Obviously, the big question is, you know, how many games can he play? The Pistons need more than 50 games out of their backup point guard. Um, You've got Reggie Jackson and Derek Roth, both guys who – you just don't know what you're going to get season to season because of the injury history. But uh, if you can get 65, 70 games out of Derrick Rose a season, I think this is a pretty solid deal from the perspective of managing the salary cap. He's coming in under the mid-level exception. It's reasonable in terms of the contract length. We're only talking about two years. 
And then in terms of what he does on the court, he adds some playmaking to a second unit that hasn't had a whole lot of playmaking in the last couple of years. You know, Ish was capable of that, but super limited in terms of his own ability to finish. So presumably, you know, you're pairing Derek Rose and Luke Kennard to give, together. That gives you a second unit backcourt with two guys who can make plays. And I think that's interesting. And in, in Luke's shooting and his ability to stretch the floor and his ability to move without the ball makes sense to me. Uh, in context of Derrick Rose's game. Um, you know, Derrick Rose's game, as I mentioned, is three-point shooting. Doesn't really seem to be real. Uh, one of the shocking stats, if you look up his box score totals from a season ago, he only made five three-point shots in calendar year 2019, and his last one was in February. So if you look at just, you know, the, the season totals, he shot something like 35 or 38% or something like that. But it was on a super limited number of attempts per game. And then he had this, you know, these several months in the second half of the season where he he just shot the ball horribly. Um, so that's the basketball stuff. Subjectively, this is a tough one for me. I, I'm really not a huge fan of this in spite of the positive I just laid out. I've never really been a fan of Derrick Rose's game. He's not he's just not a guy I've really enjoyed watching. Um, he was pretty much my last choice in terms of point guards who were associated with the Pistons over the course of the offseason. And frankly, his off-court issues are a real problem for me. Uh, and I can say that those off-court issues are, are going to be a real barrier for me in terms of my ability to root for him. Um, and frankly, I'm a bit honest. Um, I'm a bit disappointed to see the Pistons go after a guy with this sort of assorted history. I realize he was found not guilty. I realize uh, in a court of law, there was reasonable doubt, but we're not in a court and we're not on a jury. Uh, and to me, there was a lot of credibility to the allegations he was facing. Um, and I have a real problem with my franchise going after a guy with that history. So subjectively, um, not a huge fan of his game. And, and, sh- and I'm going to struggle to cheer for him uh, as a person, given the stuff uh, and the allegations he's dealt with off the court. So it's, it's a real mixed bag for me. Uh, basketball stuff makes some sense if he's, if he's healthy. Off the court stuff, I'm really going to struggle with. What do you think, Laz? Yeah, the the off the court stuff I'm going to get to a little bit later because you're right in that um, it is definitely a a mixed bag. And I actually I wrote something down because I wanted to make sure that um, if I did this off the cuff, I might have flubbed it or said something. So I wrote something down that I'll, I'll get to a little bit later. But but on the court, uh, you're right to say that the three point shooting is absolutely a mirage. Um, you had he had some really good months. I believe he shot like fifty percent from three four a month, which is uh, clearly unsustainable. But uh, the things that he does do, which are you know run the pick and roll, uh, he was you know in the eightieth percentile as a pick and roll ball handler last year, um, and he could score in isolation, which are two things that the Pistons were sorely lacking from uh, their bench units. Um, you were. You're right to be concerned about his injury history. You know, the the big injury, of course, in the past was the ACL tear. Um, ever since then, it's been like a variety of maladies, just like knees, ankles, wrists. Uh, last year, he had season-ending elbow surgery. Uh, and, you know, some there are conflicting reports about the, uh, the necessity of that elbow surgery. Well, not the necessity, but like the, the urgency with which that uh, elbow surgery uh, was, uh, was done. But um, but still, like you you, if you have two injury prone or 
two point guards with a history of injuries. Um, and your third point guard right now is uh, the 57th pick who is on a two way that does not inspire a lot of confidence. Um, and, you know, last year we saw what happened with the Jose Calderon experience. That's an experience that no one in Michigan would like to repeat. Um, and so yeah, there's, there's a lot of concern, but you know, on the, on the good part, uh, he, he can be an effective scorer. Um, I question we 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 should go back and forth a little bit about this because he is going to come off the bench. I'm pretty sure, but I always imagined that Luke would be in the starting lineup, and so he would be playing next to like uh, like Bruce Brown or uh, or Kyrie Thomas or even like a Svi. And so in in that case, you would definitely like need a guy who can put the ball in the basket a little bit more because uh, your offensive options are limited coming off the bench. And so I think if if you uh, I'm starting to think of him as like the primary driver of the uh, of the bench unit, and I think that's that's a role he can definitely have success in. But uh, that's a role that um, he's he, that's the role he's he's good at. But I don't know how good he's going to be uh, at that role for for how long. How long can you ride? Derrick Rose for like 30 minutes a night as the primary guy off the bench, right? Like how, I don't know how, I don't know if his body is, is able to uh, sustain like that level of, uh, of play. Um, you could probably in cases where it becomes relevant, you might be able to play Reggie and Derek together um, with the presence of like eight shooting guards on the roster. I would think <laughs> you don't have a lot of reason to do that, but you can, if you wanted to, and uh, last but not least, I, I pointed this out on Twitter, but I thought this was a good point. This is a this is a very nice like in person lesson to Jordan Bone on how you should grow your game beyond just like leveraging your athleticism all the time. Yeah, that's and a great point. Yeah, grow your game point. into being more skilled. This is like uh, the ghost of Christmas future for for Jordan Bone. And so uh, yeah, I like you. I preferred other point guards to Rose before the signing, um, but. With the with the signing, it's two years, fifteen million. So I think like seven three in the first year, seven six in the second. Um, from what we've seen of point guard signing so far, this free agency that seems like a really good deal. We have Terry Rozier getting fifty eight million dollars guaranteed from the Hornets at like nineteen million a year. We have Ricky Rubio getting fifty one million dollars a year from the Phoenix Suns, like seventeen million a year. Malcolm Brogdon got his twenty plus million dollars a year for um, from the Indiana Pacers, and so you know there was definitely like a worry that when the Pistons made the decision that they were going to sign somebody right away, that they would have to overpay to do so, and it does not appear that they have done that so far. Uh, we'll see. We'll get a better idea of maybe what like the backup market looks like a little bit later in free agency, but for now, I can say I'm comfortable with the size and length of the contract. Yeah, that truly is is correct i think um you know you look at what the pistons have done the last several years on the first day of free agency this one certainly feels better than for example the langston galloway contracted right like i mean it just it makes me way more sense from a financial perspective the last thing i want to mention about this we've we've talked about injury history you know injury prone is probably the wrong word because injuries can just be so random it's not like you can predict them but you know you think about reggie jackson Derek Rose and Blake Griffin, like it's not hard to imagine a scenario where you get 40 games at 100% for Rose and Reggie and, you know, like 65 games out of Blake Griffin. 
Um, and you can imagine if two of those three guys are hurt at the same time, like that could be super scary, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. where are you going to get offense from either the first or the second unit in either of those scenarios? So to me, like everything else aside, that in and of itself just has me sort of on pins and needles right now. And you mentioned there is no third point guard yet. Um, this is something the Pistons have not done successfully over the past number of years. They absolutely have to figure out a third point guard in, in some way to make me feel at least a little bit better about, you know, all everything that's riding on those three guys offensively. Yeah. With, with the, with not using the full mid-level, there is like the possibility that the third point card could just take up the rest of the full mid-level. Yeah. I think that's about like another like $2 million a year, give or take. Um, and so, you know, there's probably there's third point guards out there that you could be able to sign for that. That is a little bit more than the veterans minimum for point guards uh, with like less than like eight or nine years yeah. of experience, I think. And so those younger vets. Essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I think you can uh, you can find a guy. There was a rumored interest um, between mutual interest between the Pistons and Shane Larkin, um, a point guard that um, is like a very much again in like the Ish Smith, like change of pace uh, mold um, and and, you know, on the shorter side versus versus Derrick Rose. Um, he played the last season in Europe. And I think uh, the new the report said he shot like 45% from three in the shorter line or whatever. So like, that's good. Cause that was one of the major questions he had um, earlier in his NBA career. And like, so if the Pistons were to make a signing like that, I think I'd be as, as the third guy that that would help alleviate a lot of my concerns around um, Reggie and Derek both getting hurt at the same time. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. And you know, we talked about the, the off the court stuff with Derek Rose. I wanted to get to that. So Derek Rose was accused in 2013 and, and acquitted in 2016 of a rape charge in civil court. There were some sordid details in the case that you alluded to earlier, Ben. Uh, Rose appeared to uh, either not understand or display uh, and, or display an understanding of, te- of consent in his testimony, but uh, ultimately he was acquitted. Uh, the way I look at it is this. Legally, Derek Rose is a free man. He can live his life. He can be employed by the Detroit Pistons. He can do all the good stuff. However, the the social cost of the lawsuit and uh, and his testimony is that I get to remind you of both his accusal and the result of the trial, uh, no matter how long ago it was and no matter what he's done since. He, he wears that forever. Uh, we all have varying levels of what we're willing to accept in the name of rooting for our teams. Um, Contavious Caldwell Pope's DUI arrest and conviction was played for laughs by a lot of people, but I'm sure it's a lot less funny if you or someone you know was greatly impacted by a drunk driver. Uh, if you're able to move past Rose's acquittal, uh, Rose's accusation, uh, accusa- accusation and acquittal, good for you. If you're unable to move past Rose's accusation and acquittal, I, I completely understand. I, I can't tell you how to react or what your level of acceptability should be. But I can tell you that Derek Rose was accused and acquitted of a rape charge in civil court and let let you work it out for yourself what that means to you. Uh, lastly, I tweeted out uh, something about Rose's case after the rumor about his signing surfaced, and I got a bunch of hateful stuff from dudes in my mentions about how idiotic it was to mention the case at all since he got acquitted, you know, no big deal. But uh, the other thing I got was uh, I got far more women 
retweeting that than I normally see retweeting anything else. Uh, just that's an observation, but to me, it, it's a pretty telling one. Yeah, and I just, um, before the pod started, I put something out there about my own personal feelings about um, Rose's off-the-court issues. And uh, one of the replies I got, if you think Rose raped this broad, you a dummy. Um, you know, reasonable people can disagree about what exactly happened in that situation several years ago, based on the evidence that the public has access to. But uh, I don't think calling each other dummies is any way to handle it. And I, I don't think that takes the seriousness of the issues um, seriously. I guess that's redundant, but I don't know how else to say it. Um, I think, you know, for, for those of us who, who do have legitimate concerns about this and for those of us who are bothered by this, you know, I hope there's an appropriate time for us to respectfully express concern to the organization. I mean, we're, we're fans. They don't exist without us. Um, but as a single person, you know, any single one of us, our opinion isn't going to do much. But, you know, if a number of us say something in an appropriate and respectful way, um, you know, maybe there's a way we can make the organization aware of the fact that, this doesn't sit comfortably for some of us. So, and, and maybe that's all we need to say about it. I, I can 100% see that. All right, let's, uh, let's move on to the free agent center market, which remains the uh, other kind of big hole on the Pistons roster. Uh, ben, there's a huge list of free agent centers. Uh, which, which free agent center fits Detroit uh, when, you, when you're just envisioning what the roster looks like next season? Yeah, so Robin Lopez is a as a Pistons Twitter favorite at the moment. I think that would make sense. Um, however, I don't think the money is necessarily going to work out, and I don't think the role is going to work out from Robin Lopez's perspective. I think he probably has more to offer to an NBA team than sort of the spare change behind Andre Drummond. So, yeah, Robin's a good player. Um, I have a hard time seeing that one happen. Kylo Quinn is another guy. He's been a favorite on DBB for a very long time since before he was even a professional player. And I think that makes sense. He, he really plays like you'd want a piston big man to play. He rebounds hard. Um, he's a little bit undersized, but plays, plays big in terms of his toughness. And I think he's a pretty decent scorer uh, within his role. Um, and he's not a guy who's commanded a ton of minutes throughout his career. So the role would probably make some sense, right? So you're, you're not talking about a ton, ton of minutes behind Andre Drummond, but Quinn hasn't played a ton of minutes during his career. So if the Pistons could figure out how to squeeze him into the cap, I'd be super happy about that. I think he also makes some sense next to Thon, who's not a particularly great rebounder. Some of that might be a function of Thon's role because he's he's switching a lot and using his length on the perimeter to be more disruptive and not necessarily, you know, inside. So having a strong defensive rebounder would make sense. Um, Greg Monroe, the Moose, he's another guy I'd love to have back. Um, you know, the organization has essentially turned over since Moose and the Pistons parted ways, sort of, you know, not not any bad drama around it, but just sort of in a really strange, awkward uh, splitting up. And he's a guy who hasn't necessarily found a niche since he's left the Pistons. I'm not sure if on the basketball side of things, he makes as much sense to me after the Derrick Rose signing as he did before the Derrick Rose signing, because I, you know, Moose's lack of perimeter shoes might sort of gum things up um, for a Derrick Rose second unit. Um, but I like the idea of him, um, playmaking and scoring in the second unit. And then, of course, we know he's a solid defensive rebounder, if not a, a terrific defender. So I liked that idea. I still like that idea. I think Detroit has been 
sort of a redemption home for a lot of guys. And I think, I think Moose has more to give than he's offered over the last several years. I, I think it'd be cool to see him come back. Um, three other guys quickly, Mike Muscala. So stretch big might make more sense to me. And I, I really hadn't been considering him until Rose was signed. A stretch big might make a lot of sense next to Derek Gross. Um, may price himself out of the market. Um, Noah Vonley is another guy um, who makes sense, but you know he's still really young. He might just be coming into himself now at this point in his career, and I think he'll probably end up elsewhere, maybe even staying where he is, uh, given the fact that he's so young, and I think he's looking to secure a bigger role for himself. Um, Ed Davis is also a guy who I have always liked. He's a guy that um, some of the advanced box score numbers like. He's just a low-usage guy who plays hard and rebounds well and scores efficiently at a low usage rate um, because he just seems to understand his role and who he is as a player. So he's another guy who I think makes sense um, as a backup big. But, you know, if, if the next two days of free agency look anything like the first 45 minutes of free agency looked, um, <laughs> all of these guys might end up with $10 million a season deals. So this might be all, all meaningless by the time this gets posted because there's been – some silly stuff going on. And, and I'll also say shout out to Tobias Harris, who just got paid <laughs> by Philadelphia. Um, I, I was a huge fan of him here while he was in Detroit and I'm happy for him and, and happy to him, see him successful in Philly. Wow. So, wow. Okay. I hadn't seen that. Uh, yeah. I just, just got the note, just saw the notification. It's, it's the max five one eighty. So good for him. But, yeah, uh, it's a lot of money for Tobias yeah. Harris, though. So like, like I tweeted earlier, like when, so like when Tobias gets maxed, like and he's getting paid the same amount as Blake Griffin, like we're like it's pretty clear that the Pistons kind of won that trade. I'm just we're gonna we're gonna save that one. We're gonna put that one in the bin and come back to it. Yeah, but, you're right. Yeah, yeah, he's <laughs> he's a better player than Tobias Harris. There's no question. Yeah. Uh, as far as the backup big market goes, uh, it's definitely, I think, in the Pistons' interest to be a little bit more patient because of what you said. Um, money is getting like thrown about freely, and so there are going to be some guys who fall through the cracks. And we went through, you went through like six or seven guys, and so there's there's a high probability that one of those guys falls through the cracks. Um, I know a guy that a lot of Pistons fans had their eyes on is Dwayne Dedman. Dwayne Dedman already signed with the Kings for three years and $41 million, which is outside the range of what the Pistons could have given him. And so like that kind of answers the question of whether or not the Pistons could afford Dwayne Dedman. Also, um, though, I will say fair market value for Dwayne Dedman, I think. I think that's probably what he's worth. I think that's a slight overpay, but like uh, for Sacramento, it's an understandable one. Um, Robin Lopez, uh, I, I don't know. I honestly don't know how much Robin Lopez is worth. Uh, Lopez is, I think, the ideal fit behind Andre as just like another version of Andre that enables the, the lineup to always have that um, defender, rebounder, uh, rim runner uh, mentality kind of guy. Um, really, the only open question for me is if he wants to come to Detroit and what kind of money he's going to get on the open market. Um, if I remember correctly, there was a, a lot of frustration from his side that the Bulls um, wouldn't uh, give him a buyout and let him join a contender at uh, after the trade deadline last year. And you know maybe that also points to him wanting to play for a team that has uh, a better chance to win a championship than Detroit. But um, Detroit has the 
the full biannual exception, which is more than he could get from perhaps a, a contending team like a like a Golden State or like a Houston, who uh, both need backup big men, if I recall correctly. And so uh, I think that we'll get an indication into what's more important to uh, Lopez, uh, like money and playing time or like the opportunity for, for team success. Um, Kyle O'Quinn is a guy that has been a DBB favorite, but is a guy who uh, I've always I've always enjoyed, just like not as much as as other people. I always have just found myself wishing that he was just like two inches taller, and and that would make him a lot more effective player uh, in my mind. Um, he's uh, I think he's a guy that um, is just like a pretty clear downgrade from a Robin Lopez, but you know again the affordability comes into question. Um, Moose, I would love Moose to come back, um, partially because, um, Moose would give the, uh, bench lineups a look that they have not had in the past, which is like scoring out of the post and facilitating out of the post. Um, it'd be like Boban esque only if, uh, like Boban was like a little less unstoppable offensively and a little bit better, uh, defensively. Um, the only thing for me is, uh, know that that does kind of gum up the works if they're envisioning this this space and pace uh derrick rose led attack those two things don't really don't really go together in my mind and so that uh that's a little bit curious um moose and thon in a in a front court would also be a little bit uh scary defensively um good moose is a great rebounder but uh, he doesn't move super well in space and uh thon has been um thon's been uh hit and miss as a defender, as a team uh, defender for the, for the Pistons. Um, Ed Davis, I think is like Steve Henson's favorite player in the entire world. And so <laughs> I know he'd, I know he'd be happy if, uh, if the Pistons signed him, but like, no, that's, that's another guy who's just like a rim running uh, shot blocking, highly efficient uh, big man. Um, he, he got underpaid the last time he was a free agent by Brooklyn. Um, he might have extra incentive to stay in Brooklyn. Now that Brooklyn appears to be, uh, a much better team than they were at this point last year. Um, and so uh, maybe that uh, inches him out as an option for Detroit. Noah Vonley is, uh, as you mentioned, is definitely like an interesting guy for me. He he definitely figured some things out last year. Uh, he's big enough to play the five, but he uh, also stretches the floor uh, and not like in a theoretical way like Thon does, like he can actually uh, shoot from outside. And so that would be the pairing of him and Thon would actually be really interesting to me because um, Vonley can cover more ground than Thon can. And like, I think having a guy who can cover ground kind of uh, enables Thon to, to chill out a little bit and focus more on his responsibilities and make him a more uh, effective defensive player. I, I'm not sure what Vonley's market is, but um, I'm, I'm confident that it's not that great. Uh, he's, he was a, solid starting big man for a really bad team in the New York Knicks. And so I'm, I'm not entirely sure uh, if his market is beyond the biannual. Um, Mike Muscala as, as a stretch big would be really interesting. The Pistons haven't really had a stretch big available like look um, um, uh, go, unless you go as far back as like Ursan Ilyasova. And even he, even he was there for like only that half season. Right. So having, having uh Pistons big man who would be like a legitimate 38% uh, threat from three would be like something just new and different. And I think you brought up a good point that uh, that would play really well uh, with Derek Rose and with the rest of the guys on the bench. Um, Muscala, I think was, he was like traded twice and just did not appear to be highly valued by any of the teams he was on. And so like, maybe that's definitely more gettable. Um, That would be a guy I'd be interested in. 
a couple names you didn't mention. Um, James Edwards, the third of the athletic would be remiss if, uh, if I didn't mention uh, Rashawn Holmes, who is just kind of, uh, he's in the Kyle O'Quinn mold where he, he sets hard screens and he rolls to the basket and he's, he makes uh, impact plays defensively, but he's a little bit undersized and perhaps that's why he's kind of falling through the cracks. Um, Phoenix has not shown themselves to be a very uh, highly intelligent or run very uh, intelligently. And so maybe they let him go. Um, and that's a guy I'd be interested in. Um, Nerland's Noel. Nerland's Noel is a, a really good backup center. He's ended up signing for the minimum in Oklahoma City last year. Um, I have no idea what Nerland's Noel like wants or, or plans in his NBA career. Um, he was He turned down that big contract to sign the minimum. Um, he had a good, not great year in OKC. Um, if the Pistons were able to promise him, you know, a, an expanded role and and more than the minimum, uh, I wonder if he would bite. But however, he is a uh, he is a Rich Paul client, and so you you uh, you have to imagine that he ends up on the Lakers as all rich clients are are want to. <laughs> and then uh, last but not least is Amir Johnson, who would be kind of another uh, blast from the past from the Pistons. Um, Another veteran big man. Uh, to me, that would feel it's tilting a little bit too much in the direction of like a Zaza Pachulia type signing. Um, Amir was not as effective as uh, he'd been in previous years last year. And so you wonder if the uh, the floor is starting to, to fall out uh, for Amir. But I think that um, if they're looking for like veteran mentorship, you could you could do worse than Amir Johnson. Yeah, on that list, so Nerlens Noel really that name sort of jumps up. He's a guy I had not considered. Um, man, if the Pistons could get him, that would be, I think that would be a really solid get at, if they could manage to squeeze him in. But as you said, there's just, who knows what the market for him is going to be. Yeah. Oh, and uh, a couple more guys I forgot about. I got to scroll down and see them. Uh, Daniel Tice, who I think of as more of a power forward, but um, is a restricted free agent. And so I doubt Boston lets him go for uh for what the Pistons can offer, but a guy with a little bit of stretch to his game, who was also a, a good rebounder and a good team defender, not necessarily the best like one-on-one post defender, but a good team defender. I know uh, Brady, Brady Fredrickson at uh, Detroit bad boys has kind of been on the, uh, the Tice train. And so I wanted to acknowledge that as a possibility. And then uh, Eric Moreland, you know, Eric Moreland won a championship with Toronto. He's got that championship pedigree. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> another uh, blast from the past for the Detroit Pistons probably could be had on the cheap um, and was, you know, relatively effective in his role uh, in his uh, very minor role uh, when he was a part of the Pistons. I so knew, I don't see any reason why uh, he wouldn't uh, be available. All right, Ben, uh, are there, are there any other free agent signings that you kind of envisioned that, that you wanted to talk about that, that stood have stood out to you in the, uh, in 90 minutes since free agency has opened. Not necessarily things that other teams have done yet. I, I don't think I have my head around anything yet. Uh, we mentioned Tobias Harris, right? That comparatively makes Blake Griffin look much more affordable. Um, the other thing though, I would mention is I think Tony Snell and that contract looks pretty solid given what some of these other guys are already getting paid. Um, so I think when you look at, again, just talking basketball and just talking contracts, Snell and Rose are, are two upgrades, assuming good health, uh, for the Pistons on the basketball court that I think come without any serious long-term commitments and any real serious money um, commitments. So I, I think 
you know, two pretty solid moves that, that make the team pretty much immediately better going into next season. So I, I think those are, you know, two checks in Stefanski's uh, pro, pros. If you're looking at pros and cons, those are two things I think he's done well. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think uh, if you look at the wings that are on the market, I think Rodney Hood got the full mid-level. No, he got the taxpayer mid-level. So uh, a little bit under $6 million to stay in Portland. Um, but that's a better situation than Detroit. Um, you had Al Farouk Aminu, who I think got uh, $29 million over three years as another uh, potential wing option for Detroit that's uh, signed for a little bit more than the Pistons were able to offer. Uh, also, that, that signing does not really make a whole lot of sense for Orlando, who is now filled to the brim with uh, big, versatile defenders who, who can't shoot. <laughs> the other thing, uh, one other thing I wanted to note was was Indiana. Indiana has pulled off some uh, some interesting things over the last uh, again ninety minutes. Um, the trade, the signing trade for Malcolm Brogdon is really interesting. Um, the signing of Jeremy Lamb as a as a as another guy who uh, was a Pistons target, but who they couldn't have afforded to to sign. But I think that's a really nice uh, Oladipo substitute for the 35 or so games that um, I don't. I don't think Oladipo will be ready for at the start of the season. Um, uh, the TJ Warren trade that they pulled off before the draft is another good move to get a guy on the wing. Um, the Pacers went younger. Uh, they went fully prepared and, and all in on playing two big men, which I think is a is a stylistic difference that I'm intrigued to see if it works, and I hope it does. I think uh, stylistic differences across the league are what what make the NBA uh, the NBA. And so, if uh, if more than if more teams are playing uh, differently, I think that's uh, that helps from an entertainment standpoint. And um, you know, I'm just I'm really curious to see how the the Pacers work out uh, long term. Uh, the other thing is, uh, the last thing I'll say is Brooklyn. Brooklyn obviously brought in uh, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and, and DeAndre Jordan and Garrett Temple, and so they're uh, much more of a threat than they have been in the past. However, um, the Pistons, uh, if you look at their cap sheet, their cap sheet is full, um, and they still have the – they've got Joe Harris, I think, coming up as an unrestricted free agent in the not-too-distant not future. They've got um, – Spencer Dinwiddie under contract for a while, but they've got Karis Levert who's coming up in restricted free agency and a guy who I think was on his way to stardom before his knee injury. Um, that's a guy who I would investigate uh, clearing cap space for and, and making a max offer to, you know, with the knowledge that Brooklyn already has two max spaces uh, dedicated to Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. And that's a guy who, if I were the Pistons, um, I'd be trying to find ways to, to, clear cap space for to, to make that max offer too, because I definitely think uh, he could be a difference maker for the Pistons. I like to hear you say that about uh, one of my favorite Michigan Wolverines last. Yeah. I, I definitely underestimated him at Michigan because he was so dang skinny. Oh, he was not, he was not the player at Michigan that he is today though. I mean, he has blossomed beyond what I, I was anticipating by, by a long, I mean, He's totally blown me away. His game has expanded in ways that I did not anticipate at all. And he's, yeah, I mean, just become a, a on his way to superstardom. Maybe you didn't say superstardom. Maybe you just said star. Just star. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I very think good. that's legit. Like, yeah, like fringe. He was on his way to being like in the all-star conversation, I think, before the injury. So 
Yeah, yeah I, I would be thrilled to have a guy like him. Yeah. Super versatile, too. I mean, super versatile on defense and offensively. He does a lot of things. Yeah, and uh, a guy that you know is the right age to uh, grow into his prime as other guys on the Pistons uh, you know, grow out of their primes. And just, yeah, just a guy I've been keeping my eye on as an as a as an opportunity for the Pistons to bring in some some lowercase s uh, stardom, as it were. Yeah. I saw some hate for the Brogdon contract um, already on Twitter. Um, you know, injuries is always a little bit of a risk, but I don't know. I have a feeling that that deal is going to look pretty good in a couple of years. I think Brogdon could be a pretty good player. Oh, definitely. I mean, uh, he's just a, he's so. That backcourt pairing of he and Oladipo is just two defensively minded guys who can both uh, shoot from the perimeter, um, move the ball really well, and are just like have really high basketball IQs. Like, to me, that's like a, a taller version of the uh, Damon CJ backcourt uh, and a little bit more defensively inclined uh, alongside the height. And so uh, neither of those guys is at the level of a Damian Lillard. But um, you know, Oladipo was on his way before his before his injury, and so yeah, I'm I'm still really intrigued. But uh, what Indiana what Indiana is doing, and, you know, I keep an eye on the, what teams that finished uh, either behind the Pistons or like slightly above the Pistons are doing this offseason, right? Like Brooklyn's obviously stronger. Indiana looks stronger. Uh, Orlando resigned their guys, but I don't I don't know if that makes them stronger or weaker. Um, Miami appears to be trying to position themselves to trade for Jimmy Butler. We'll see how that goes. Um, Washington is obviously going to be uh, going to be a worse team. Um, the Celtics are, are maybe they're going to, it looks like they're going to lose Al Horford. And so that's going to make them worse. And uh, they don't have any really need big men on the roster right now that I think you trust to replace them. They've got like Daniel Tyson, like Robert Williams, but like, you don't, you don't know exactly what you're going to get out of those guys. And so, you know, there there appears to be an opportunity for the Pistons to rise above the uh, the number eight seed in the Eastern Conference uh, this offseason with the moves that other teams are making. And, you know, anytime that happens, I'm going to pay attention to it, you know? Yeah. Oh, and uh, not necessarily a competitor to the Pistons at the moment, but the Knicks just gave Julius Randle $63 million because, of course, they did. Wait, how many years? Three years, uh, $63 million. So. Oof. I, uh, I don't know if you saw my piece, but uh, like that was one of the teams I was worried about um, going after Andre in uh, in free agency next season. Um, yeah. And well, that maybe that's less of a possibility now. But man, yeah, sixty three million dollars from Julius Randle. That's like, hey, we've got money to spend. Let's go. Let's go spend it. Hey, he scored twenty points a game last year. He's good. We oh, swear. Man. Oh man. <laughs> at least we're not the Knicks. You know, yeah. things can get rough in Detroit, but at least we're not the Knicks. We, all, we always have that. All right, Ben, uh, what's the best place for uh, people to contact you about the silly season? Hey, you know, I always check the comments in particular for our podcast posts. So leave us feedback, give us suggestions, and on Twitter at BRGolker. And uh, you can all, always find me on Twitter at LazChance. That's at L-A-Z-C-H-A-N-C-E. You can also find me uh, in the comments on whatever post is uh, up on Detroit Bad Boys. And uh, even some of the fan posts. Uh, I've been really enjoying the uh, the quality and quantity of some of the fan posts uh, during the offseason. So keep that up, guys. Uh, that's much appreciated. All right. Uh, this has been the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. And we will talk to you guys next week. Summer League. Summer League's coming. <laughs>